Well, good morning. Let me add my happy Mother's Day. Um, you know, range of emotions on today, like today. Uh, many of us remember our mothers. My mom's deceased, or celebrate our moms, and that's great. I think it's man. Am I married? Hope, and we've raised two boys, twenty and seventeen. I appreciate mothers more than I realize, and so it's worth celebrating. And yet, there are people today. It's this is a bit of a sad day. Um, they've lost their mother recently, perhaps, or maybe didn't have a great relationship, or uh, as a woman that weren't able to have children, wanted to be a mother and couldn't. So we want to recognize a range of emotions today, um, and, and with that, uh, celebrate uh, mothers, but realize that others are, are, are lamenting because they have not been able to, or the relationship has not gone as, as they had hoped. When I was a boy, we lived in the Detroit area, and I had an aunt who lived in Buffalo, so rather than stay in the States and go around, it was more direct to cut right across Canada to get there. On one of these trips, my dad got a ticket. He was going too fast. So when the officer pulled him over and wrote the ticket, he said, look, here's the story I see in your um, driver's license. You're from the States. If you choose not to pay this ticket, we're not coming across the border after you. You're free to come across and, and challenge it with due process. There's, there's no penalty for doing that. But if you choose to ignore the ticket, like I said, we're not going to come get you, but, but if you come across again and we catch you, we will arrest you and detain you until the, the ticket is settled. And that, that may take a few weeks to play out. And so, just want you to know that. So my question is, was the police officer informing or was he warning? I'd say it does both. And when you have something that deals with consequences, you can't do one without the other. To, to inform is to warn. And if that police officer said, eh, yeah, I don't want to be a, a, a bad guy and I don't kind of ruin his day, and, and had not told my dad that, and my dad thought, I just won't pay the ticket, and, and he got arrested, he would have been right to say, that isn't fair. I didn't know. Well, now you know. But in order to know, you need to be warned. In order to be informed, you need to be warned. I say that because that's how it is with God's judgment. It would be wrong for God not to inform. And does have us show up at the end of life going, oh, I didn't know but to inform, because we're dealing with consequences, is to warn. With that in mind, I want us to talk about God's judgment, because we get got a classic case of it in the Bible. So if you've got um, a Bible, if you turn to Genesis 19, like Cody said, we're going to go all the way through this chapter and wrestle with this question, what do we need to know about God's judgment? So our passage starts with this way, and now the two angels came down to Sodom. Remember, God showed up to Abraham, and he had two men with him, and they were angels, and for the most part, I don't think they were recognized as being God and angels. But these two angels, looking like humans, came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, now behold, my lords, and again, that's, that's a term of respect, that's not necessarily recognizing that they're angels. He says, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet that you may rise early and go on your way. 
They said over, no, 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 no. We shall spend the night in the square. Don't want to be a bother. Yet he, Lot, urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. I think Lot doesn't want him standing out there because he knows how dangerous the city is, and we're going to see that in just a minute. And we won't turn back there, but in, in Genesis 13, Lot is the neighbor, neighbor, uh, nephew of Abraham. And they were having a problem. Their, their livestock had grown so much, the land couldn't support them. So they, they look, we're going to have to go separate ways. And Abraham said to Lot, hey, you, you take first pick. And so Lot saw the Jordan Valley, and he saw this lush land, he thought, I'm going there. And all Lot could think about was money. Man, my, my, my fortune, my herd is going to increase. And I want to read the very end of Lot's decision to settle. It's in Genesis 13, 12 and 13. It said, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, where Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now catch this. Now the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked, wicked exceedingly, and sinners against the Lord. Lot doesn't seem to have any concern for that. That the people he's settling near are wicked, and they've rebelled against God, and they're doing their own thing. But all Lot can see is money. I get to increase my herd. I get to increase my net worth. And so he's made that decision, and he's living in Sodom, and he's have these visitors that have come in, and he's invited them in. But before they can settle in, this is what happens, verse 4 and 5. Before they lay down, the men in the city and the men of Sodom surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. The men of the city want to force themselves on these two men. If you were here last week, I talked about it, but I'm going to mention it again. When... God is removed from the picture. It's all about me. And I get what I want, and I'll fight to get it, and you are a means to an end. And I want relations with you, and if you don't want them, too bad, because it's about me. See, God created us to be in a relationship with Him. And when we're in a relationship with Him, we understand that every person is created in the image of God. We're not products of chance, and you're not here to meet my needs. No, no, God has promised to meet my needs, and and I'm here to serve you. It's it's a totally different perspective, but you remove God from the picture. It's every person for themselves. I'm building my own kingdom, and don't get in my way, and if you got something I want, I'll, I'll take it. This is what happens when we remove God from the equation. These people see something, the men see something, and they're going to take it, and they don't care who it affects. Well, Lot has a response to that. It says, but Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him. He said, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now, behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men as, as much as they have come under the shelter of my roof. Uh, this is appalling that he's going to Give his two daughters to these men to do as they please? When we get involved with 
sinful people, people who are living for themselves, it clouds our perspective. It clouds our judgment. Yeah, God has told us to be in the world, but not of the world. We're, we're among them, but we're not adopting a value system. And we're ultimately not counting on them before we connect with God. And God wouldn't have us lay our daughters out for, for these men to do what they want. But proximity to sin, it, 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 it confuses us. It confounds us. It, it ruins our judgment. And that, that's what Lot has done. And I wonder if he could see it again, if, if he'd make the same decision on where he settled, would, if getting money was, was that important to him. But Lot tries to appease these, hey, I've got my daughters. Here's what the men say in verse 9. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien. Remember, Lot settles in. Already he's acting like a judge. Now we will treat him worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. Notice when, when sin gets away, someone who tries to stand for righteousness, man, they get, they get trampled. I don't want to hear it. I don't want you standing up for these people. Whether it's the rights of the unborn or the rights of the poor or the, the rights of the marginalized. You stand up for them in a sinful culture. I don't want to hear that. And if you do, I'll, I'll, I'll steamroll you too. And that's what we got. And, and remember, God's watching all this. God, the creator who values every person, man, woman, and child. Seeing some people look at other people as an object of their desires to be used. At some point, God says, enough. Verse 10, 11. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. There's, there's a supernatural interaction. These angels are going to protect Lot and his family. The men, they're just getting started. Verses 12 through 14. Then the two men said to Lot, what else, whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we're about to destroy this place. And you understand why. All value of human life has been lost. All corruption rules. People are being trampled. We're about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughter said, Up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy it, this, the city. Catch this. But he appeared to his son-in-law, sons-in-law to be jesting. You're joking, right? Judgment of God, you're, you're, you're joking, right? You're not, not serious. I mean, this stuff really doesn't happen. We live in a culture that thinks that way. That God is this grandfather who just kind of, you know, forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. How, how long? Before a righteous and holy God said, I can't watch this anymore. And, and so we're called to speak to this culture who really doesn't want to hear it. Are we informing? Yeah. Are we warning? Yeah, we are. Because it will happen. And people don't want to end up in a jail in Canada to go back to our example because they didn't know. At least let them make an informed decision. 
So, it's going to happen. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who were here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. Why, did, why, does, why do you think Lot hesitates? Why did he move down to that city in the first place? Money. Money. Extend my hurt. I mean, I, I got a lot of stuff here. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I want to. I'm not sure I want to leave. Lot, the city's going to be destroyed. But the love of money, the love of stuff, the love of things that clouds our judgment. Verse sixteen. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hands and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him, and they brought him out and put him outside the city. So they got him outside the city. Verse 17, when they had brought him outside, one said, escape for your life and do not look behind you. Do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said, oh no, my lords. Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains for disaster will overtake me and I will die. God can't sustain me in the mountains, is what he's saying. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not too small that life may be saved? He said to them, behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the town was called Zor. And he'll say, man, we've got to go to the mountains. Lot says, no, no, I, I can't go there. I don't think I can make it there. This is the hand of God. You don't think, oh. But God is gracious with Lot. Okay, we'll, we'll go to this city called Zor. And then we see the action of God. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of the heaven. And he overthrew these cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife, from behind him, looked back, which became a pillar of salt. They, they were told, don't look back. Don't look back. Why do you think she looked back? We can only guess, but I think it's the love of stuff, the love of things. I had a beautiful house. I had a nice chariot. I had a... And you suffer the judgment of God. Does the love of things have us? Are we so consumed with stuff that we're not listening to God? And then we get a note that, that remember, Abraham is, is in another place. But he's, he can see what's going on. And, and we see that in verses 27 to 29. Now, Abraham rose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like a, the smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Remember how this all started. Genesis started. God creates. First 11 verse chapters and humanity pushes back. In Genesis 12, God goes into relationship with Abraham. He said, I'm going to build a nation through you. I'm going to show myself through your lineage. But you're going to have to learn to trust me. With this, I think Abraham's watching. His, his mission, what he's doing, is becoming clear. Humanity without God will absolutely devour one another, will destroy one another, because if there's no God, I need to get the most I can out of this world, and I have to take you out, so be it. 
We become self-centered. You become self-centered, and we collide, and the strong wins. And God said, I can't have that. I'm gracious, and I'm patient. You remember, he allowed Abram to count him down. If you will save 50, 45, 40, 30, 10 righteous people, I'll wait. Even here, he's taking Abraham and, or Lot and his family and patiently waiting for them to get out. We talked about the judgment of God. And we asked, well, what, what do we need to know? Remember, he's, he's informing, but he's also warning. Well, here's what we need to know. God waits to judge. God is patient, but he won't wait forever. He will judge. What do we need to know about the judgment? God waits to judge. He's not looking to stick it to it. He's not looking. But at some point, his righteousness, his love of humanity, his repulsion of what's going on on earth demands that he act, and God will judge. God waits, but he won't wait forever. He will judge. So why? Why why include this? Don't we want a loving, caring kind God who meets us. Yeah, but, but that's not a full picture of God. God is holy and He's righteous, and I'm glad He is because the place He's creating someday is going to be like that. So, so God includes this for the very reason the police officer spoke to my dad. He informs, but as He informs, He also warns. This will happen. And there is a final judgment coming. And it's talked about in Revelation chapter 20. John's writing and he's got a vision from God. And he said, and I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from the presence, from, the, from whom, whose presence earth and heaven fled and no place was found for them. Yeah, they flee before holy God because they know they're going to be judged. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Man, on Mother's Day? But we're committed to proclaiming the full truth of God, and He's holy, and He's righteous, and He will judge. Listen, if you walk into your doctor's this week for an annual physical, and you're in a good mood, man, you're in a good mood, and just, doc, just, just give me the word. And he finds a lump that he thinks Hodgkin's disease, and he thinks, you know what? Jeez, I don't want to wreck your day. I don't want to wreck your day. So I'm just not going to say anything. And you come back six months later and nine months later, and doc, the thing's spread, and now it's, and well, why didn't you say anything? Well, man, I just, I didn't want to wreck your day. Yeah, I mean, you seem to be having such a good day. What would you think about that doctor? He would be negligent. He would lose his license. Why? Because he didn't give you the bad news you needed to hear. And wouldn't it have been a real bummer if, yeah, there was a cancer, but we got a treatment for it, but now it's too late. Sorry, but didn't. But hey, I mean, you looked like you, you were in such a good mood nine months ago, and I, I just didn't want to wreck that. That'd be bad medicine. Well, there'd be bad spirituality. Because the good news of judgment is 
there is a cure. What's being diagnosed right now has a solution. And his name is Jesus. Here's what it says in John 3, 17, 18. For God did not send the Son in the world to judge the world, but we might be saved through him. God's heart is not that anyone would be judged, okay? He sent his Son that everyone could be saved from judgment, kind of like Lot was. He sent not a couple angels, he sent Jesus. He who believes him and is not judged, he who does not believe him has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It's like my dad going back through Canada, not paying the ticket. You were warned. He paid, by the way, he did pay the ticket. So he didn't end up in jail. But God's made provision. We sang about it. Once for all, Jesus died. We'll sing about it again when we close in tenderness. God is reaching out that you don't have to go this way. God waits. He's waiting for you to turn to Him. But He will judge, and there will be a final judgment one day. As we go back to our passage, they're out of the city now. Lot and his family. um, And we read what goes on. Verse 30. Lot went up from Zor and stayed in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to stay in Zor, and he stayed in the cave. He and his two daughters. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father's old, and there's not a man on earth to come and in, into in us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and let us lie with him that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went and lay with her father, and he did not know she lay down or when she arose. On the following day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight. Then you may go and lie with him that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger rose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she rose. Thus both daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son, and his name was Moab, and he is the father of the Moabites today. As for the younger, she also bore a son called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. This is the second time we've seen people say, you know, I want a child, I don't think it's going to happen, I'm going to take things into my own hand. Abraham and Sarah did it with their servant Hagar, produced Ishmael, a pain to the nation of God for thousands of years. Same thing happens here. Lot's daughters think, you know, I I don't know how we're going to keep this family line going, and we're going to take things into our hand, and we're going to do something that we know is wrong. We're going to get our father drunk, and we're going to sleep with him, and they produce uh, the Moabites and Ammonites. Again, adversaries of God. The lesson, when, when, when we disobey God and we take things into our own hand, we, we live the consequences. And in the area of, of uh, morality, God has a plan for marriage, man and woman. Anything else is a violation. Anything else is taking things into our own hands. And there will be consequences from that. God is gracious. He forgives. But He will judge. And he waits for people to return. When I was a junior in high school, we moved to Houston. My senior year, um, the University of Texas had a, a really good football team, and they had a running back named Earl Campbell, who won the Heisman Trophy that year. 
And then he was drafted by the Houston Oilers the next year. So he started in the National Football League with the Oilers in 1978, and immediately he made the Oilers better. And they were the talk of the town. And in 1979 and 1980, the Oilers made it all the way to the AFC Championship, and they lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were really good. But Campbell was kind of a genetic anomaly for his time. He was about 245 pounds. He ran about a 4-5-40, and he was a physical, crushing back. First time the Steelers played him, again, these were the defending Super Bowl champions. They said, we had no idea how physical this guy was. And, and Earl Campbell and the Houston Oilers and Bum Phillips, the coach, and the whole thing, Love You Blue, that was the talk of the town. And they never made the Super Bowl, but for, for two or three or four years, uh, man, they, they were just it. They, they owned Houston. It's a football-crazy place. Campbell had a pretty short career because he, he wore out. By the time he was 40 years old, he couldn't walk up the stairs. And I read an article about him in Sports Illustrated. He made this comment. He said, if I had known how much it would hurt, I wouldn't have played. I wouldn't have played. Gosh, if I, if I could have known. Man, I was the talk of the town. Everybody wanted my auto. Everybody wanted. There was a song about the Oilers. And, and everybody wanted a picture. Everybody wanted a piece of Earl Kim. And he was everything. But man, that faded. And at 40 years old, he can't have any stairs in his house because he can't walk stairs. If I'd known the consequences now that I would face, I would live differently. God's trying to spare us. Knowing what's coming, would you live differently? Is he warning? Yeah. But he's also informing. Because he's got a plan for fullness of life. But it starts with us being submitted to him. And allowing him to lead in our life. And accepting the forgiveness that is offered in Jesus Christ. God will judge. But he waits. That you and I might turn to him. Let me pray. And I'll invite our worship team up to to close. So Lord, we are um, grateful for this God who who waits on judgment, but he will judge. His righteousness, holiness demands it. And um, that we would not be men and women who are obtuse, who get angry, who is he? Uh, He's informing and he's also warning, but he's doing it for our own good. And he's offered a solution. We don't have to go this way, that we wouldn't be stubborn, that we'd take God at his word, fullness of life. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.